0: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Take back your internet privacy today and get an extra three months for free on a one-year package when you sign up at expressvpn.com slash mission log.
1: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 371, The Begotten.
0: Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion.
2: And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we take an in-depth look at the morals, meanings, and messages in each and every gelatinous globule of Star Trek.
0: This week, The Begotten, otherwise known from its lesser-known working title, The Common Sense Book of Baby and Child Care, written by Dr. Spock. Wait, wait. Why did
2: Mr. Spock write a book on babies? No, no, uh, Norman, not, not Mr. Spock. Dr. Spock. Well, then when did Spock become a doctor? Wait a second, wait a second. It was when he put his contra into Dr. McCoy. That's when he became a doctor. No, the
0: no, 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 just
2: I, I forget I said it. Never mind. I'm so confused. However, what I do know for sure are the best ways that you can stay in touch with us. Mission Log relies on your participation, so that's why we want to hear from you. Help us spread the word by giving us a like or a share on Facebook or Twitter, where you'll find us at Mission Log Pod. Tell others about us there, and if you're inclined to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts, we'll be grateful, and we'll share those in a future supplemental. You can reach us on Skype at Mission Log Pod or by calling 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode Of Mission Log. And now here's John Champion with this week's trivia. And maybe a little more about this baby book written by Mr. Spock. uh, It's a doctor. Never mind. I'm so excited.
0: (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) This week's episode, The Begotten, was written by Renee Echevarria, longtime Trek contributor. We know Renee's work well. He had the idea for a changeling baby somewhat early on, uh, but it sat as an idea until they knew precisely what to do with it. Not to mention, the DS9 production staff had seen several births in their families, uh, and our own Major Kira had the rather novel way of working around a character who was pregnant on the show. So yes, babies were on people's minds. This episode was directed by Jesus Salvador Trevino. Hey, look, a brand new name for us this week. Uh, Jesus, who also goes by his nickname Chuy, uh, started his career as a director by picking up a Super 8 camera in the 1960s and filming what would become his first project, a documentary about Latino civil rights called I Am Chicano, released in 1972 professional work started coming in right away, and the series work, like uh, the PBS kids' show MathNet, a sort of dragnet parody about, well, solving crimes with math, um, <laughs> then led to some very high-profile work, like several episodes of Sequest DSV, and his very first Star Trek credit is a third-season episode of Voyager, so we'll circle back around to that before too terribly long. Now, most of his Trek credits are on Voyager, but he does stick around for two more episodes of DS9. Oh, 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 and, and Norman, he does have mm-hmm. multiple Babylon 5 credits, including the TV movie Third Space. That's for you, my friend. Thank you, John. You're welcome. Now, of course, as I alluded to earlier, uh, we have the resolution of the fictional pregnancy of Kira Norris, Timed out a few weeks after the real-life pregnancy of Nana Visitor, uh, that being her child with Alexander Siddig. Nana had given birth uh, just uh, about five or six weeks before this episode to Django, her second child and her only child with Sid. Nana was very glad to get back to work without wearing the false pregnancy costuming and return to some much more action-intensive roles for Kira. The biggest technical hurdle here was the many forms and varieties of goo needed to play a baby changeling, according to terry erdman 's deep space nine companion odo 's liquid state was originally just murphy 's oil soap whenever he was in a bucket, uh, so that that was an easy off the shelf solution and it had the right coloring. Now, for the baby changeling, they used a combination of gelatin, uh, sometimes some resin molds, uh, hot melt vinyl, CGI, and even the show's assistant director. Yeah, there there were a lot of different techniques employed depending on the shot. CGI, of course, would be the most expensive option and therefore the least desirable. For one shot, the AD, Lou Race, suggested do it with puppetry. So his hand and forearm were covered in a stocking and then uh, slimed with goo of the appropriate color so the director could get an over-the-shoulder shot that he wanted from behind the baby looking at Odo. Let's talk about guest stars. We have two major returning guest stars. Duncan Rager, who honestly we really needed back as Shakar a few times before, I'm always amazed by Duncan's breadth of accomplishments, uh, athletic, musical, artistic, not to mention acting. Uh, We've covered him here before. And again, I encourage anyone to just go read his bio. He has done a crazy amount of work in his life. (laughs) He is also a high-value guest star, shall we say. You know, every time Norman and I have said, wow, they really could have used Shakar in this episode. Well, the DS9 writers pretty much all thought the same thing. But then they had to be careful with their guest star budget and make sure there was enough to go around to keep some variety in the mix. And then we have the amazing James Sloyan returning here for his second appearance as Dr. Mora. We've mentioned before his recurring roles on shows like Murder, She Wrote, Dr. Quinn, Party of Five, and many more. Uh, He even has a handful of credits on The Love Boat. Can't go without mentioning that. Don't forget uh, some 80s pop culture icons like uh, Buck Rogers and Xanadu, but seriously, Trek fans will know him from TNG, where he played both the Romulan Admiral Jarek in The Defector, and then as an adult Alexander in Firstborn. We will see him one more time when we cover Voyager, but technically, this was his last filmed appearance in Star Trek.
1: You kids these days with your baby Yoda. In the 90s, we had a container of cool, and we loved it.
2: Prologue. Groaning and hobbling his way into the infirmary, Constable Odo is suffering from yet another mortal ailment, back pain. And not from Alvanian spine mites, but from simply a pinched nerve due to Odo's nearly perfect and too rigid posture. And if Odo's mourning isn't irritating enough, here comes Quark with something he thinks Odo would be interested in buying, and if not, perhaps the founders would. Now having Odo's full attention, Cork reveals an ornate container filled with a gelatinous substance. It's a changeling. A very small one. A very sick one. As Odo is transfixed on the container, Quark slyly completes his transaction for eight slips of latinum. Dr. Bashir thinks that a security field around the container would be prudent, as it is in fact a changeling but Odo assuages Julian's concerns by clarifying one important aspect of this changeling. It's just a baby. Act 1. As the baby changeling sits atop a medical scanner, Dr. Bashir informs Odo and Captain Sisko that the baby changeling is suffering from tetrion radiation exposure, but can purge the isotopes with an electrophoretic diffuser. Captain Sisko stares in awe while Odo elaborates upon how he much like this newly found changeling infant was part of the founders' overall plan to seed the galaxy with these newborns, so they could learn about other races, other cultures, and eventually as the infants would mature and grow as Odo has, would then report back on how these species treated the helpless, weak, and vulnerable as a gauge to who the founders would consider to be civilized or hostile. Benjamin believes that learning more about this child would prove invaluable to Starfleet intelligence and future encounters with the Founders, and Odo agrees, with the condition that he would be the one to educate and nurture this Foundling and not his mentor, Dr. Mora. Dr. Bashir takes his leave of Odo to check on Major Kira, who has gone into labor and informs Odo that the radiation purge was almost 100% successful, but there is still a small degree of instability. Shortly after, Odo confesses to the infant changeling that things will be different for both of them this time around. No more poking, prodding, and living an existence as a lab experiment. No, this time will be different. Meanwhile, in a ceremonial Bajoran birthing room, Major Kira is surrounded by those who are trying to help her enter a relaxed enough state to begin giving birth. At least, that is what's supposed to be happening. Miles, aside from being allergic to the incense in the room, which causes him to sneeze, is incensed that Kira can't relax until First Minister Shakar arrives. Much like a proud father, Odo takes his infant changeling on a stroll of the town, even in his own beverage cup. When they eventually arrive back to the infirmary, and even though he's not sure if the baby can understand him, Odo explains to the infant the wonder and freedom of being a changeling and learning how to shapeshift and solemnly swears again that he will never treat this baby as he was once treated by Dr. Mora, the man who poked, prodded, and treated Odo like a lab experiment, and the man who just entered the room. Act 2. Upon seeing the changeling infant, and much to Odo's dismay, Dr. Mora launches right into research mode, bombarding Odo with questions, questions that Odo takes for critiques, slights, and second guesses. It seems that no matter how many years have passed, no matter the distance he's kept from Dr. Mora, Odo's resentment for how he was treated, all of the pain, the embarrassment, the shame, all of those feelings have returned upon seeing his mentor, and Odo makes it very clear that this infant will never bear those burdens as he once did, at this stage of the infant's development as a changeling. Dr. Mora's involvement is strictly relegated to being an observer— no matter how many times Mora insists that his insight and experience would prove to be valuable. Meanwhile in the birthing room, First Minister Shakar finally arrives and when he does, his lateness causes the whole ceremony to be postponed for another time. Kira has been in labor for far too long and her body's endorphins reach the stage where they could no longer sustain a blissful birthing experience. Back in the infirmary, Odo continues his far more delicate, albeit time-consuming, ...approach to coach the changeling infant into adopting new forms, from basic spheres to cubes, and finally to pyramids, as an entire week goes by without any significant progress. Unable to sit back and simply observe, Mora begins scanning the infant, trying to record simple basic growth parameters, causing Odo to become defensive and outraged at any of Mora's attempts to intervene. Mora chastises Odo's lack of progress, to which he retorts that he's trying to gain its confidence not teach it tricks and turn it into a lab rat for his amusement. As both Mora and Odo exchange verbal barbs from their past relationship, Captain Sisko enters the infirmary to check on their progress with a not-so-subtle reminder that if Odo's progress fails to meet Starfleet's approval, then they would take the Changeling infant for their own and begin their own experiments. Mora explains to Odo that this is exactly the pressure that the Cardassians placed on him when he first discovered Odo and that if Odo wanted to continue educating the chingling infant in his care, he would have to forego sparing the rod, as to not spoil the child. Act 3 With Dr. Mora's equipment set up in the infirmary, he and a very reluctant Odo initiate the very same low-voltage tests that instigated Odo's shape-shifting abilities so many years ago. And as Mora urges Odo to push the infant towards increasing levels of discomfort, it begins shape-shifting into the basic shapes that these tests were designed to extract originally from Odo's changeling ability. And to the test's credit, Odo reacts in the exact same way that Mora did when Odo took his first shape in the same way for which Odo hated Mora for all these years. In Kira's quarters, Chief O'Brien is massaging the Major's extremely swollen legs as Shakar arrives to check in on his beloved Kira. Being the overprotective father-to-be, Miles and Shakar exchange several overprotective overtures at each other as Kira cuts through their banter declaring that, this time, it's time, as both Miles and Shakar tug at her to get her back into the birthing suite. Back in the infirmary, Odo and Dr. Mora are making incredible progress with the infant as it maintains another new and slightly more difficult cylindrical shape. Mora reminisces that it took three attempts for Odo to do so, But Odo confesses that he could have maintained any form he wanted, but just didn't want to give Mora the satisfaction. The kind of satisfaction that this changeling infant is giving Odo as it passes every single test. And as they begin to leave, the infant changes shape all on its own and transforms not only into an elongated tentacle, but one that has taken what appears to be a very basic version of Odo's face. And in doing so, both Odo and Mora stare at it with wonder as they share their very first positive experience together, watching this infant reach out to them and affording all of them a singular moment of pure joy. Act 4 Odo and Mora enter the security office, chattering all the while, as they are both elated with the revelation of what they just witnessed. And as Odo picks up to review a security pad, Mora tells him to set aside work because a celebration is in order. But more importantly, they both need to plan what to do next. Odo is desperate to communicate with it and share all of what he's learned. And Mora, much to Odo's surprise, admits that it is because Odo's softer touch and more compassionate approach that the changeling reached out to him in a way Odo never did. Mora laments the way he treated Odo and confesses that perhaps his experiments were too cold and clinical, to the point where they caused Odo's standoffishness and distrusting nature. However, Odo's resolve with Dr. Mora isn't what it once was. And Odo, too, is coming to a better understanding of the difficulties more endured while trying to attempt something that has never been done before. As Odo comes to this realization, he puts down his pad and replicates two glasses of champagne to celebrate. Back in the birthing room, the midwife, Yapora, declares that the conditions for Kira to finally give birth are ready. Sort of. It seems that Shakar has positioned himself at Kira's side in such a way to block Chief O'Brien from seeing his child come into the world. He missed Molly's birth, and he's not about to miss this one. And as Shakar and Miles jockey over who is standing where, Kira, with Keiko backing her up, kicks them both out. How can she remain calm with so much male dominance wafting through the air? Meanwhile at Quark's, Quark sees something he's never seen before, which has made him not only uncomfortable, but puzzled, and naturally distrusting. Odo is behind his bar, pouring them both drinks, and, again to Quark's discomfort, Odo is happy. And more importantly, Odo is not here to arrest Quark or demand a refund for the sick changeling he sold him, almost unwillingly so. No, Odo is there because he's simply happy and living a changeling life vicariously through the eyes and experiences of a newborn and all of the promise and wonder that this infant changeling will experience because Odo will be there every step of the way. However, this moment is fleeting as the computer chimes in and informs Odo that the changeling infant is suffering biometric fluctuations. As Odo rushes to the infirmary, Dr. Moore informs him that the infant's morphogenic matrix is destabilizing. It's dying. Act 5. Julian tells Odo that the radiation poisoning it suffered earlier must have been more severe than initially diagnosed, as a very somber and sympathetic Dr. Mora ushers Odo from the lab, assuring him that they are doing everything they can to save the infant. Meanwhile, in Kira's birthing chamber, Keiko invites both Shikar and Miles back into the room, provided that they behave themselves, and as soon as they enter, they witness Kira give birth to a very and healthy baby, Kureyoshi O'Brien. Back in the infirmary, a very distraught Dr. Bashir informs Odo that there is nothing more than can be done to save the changeling. Odo pours the lifeless shape into his hands, begging it not to die. And suddenly, it disappears, as if absorbed through Odo's hands, as he convulses momentarily with racking pain. Odo stumbles towards the infirmary doors and transforms into a Tartalian hawk, the one form that he promised the infant he would teach him to become. Soaring through the promenade, the Hawk lands on the upper level and reverts back into Odo, whose face is an emotional mask of both joy and tragedy from what he has gained, but also what he has lost. He is a changeling once again, but at a cost that he never would have anticipated, nor would have chosen. In a series of separate goodbyes, Shakar tries to convince Kira to stay with him on Bajor for a while, but Kira feels that she needs to stay on the station. And Odo confesses to Dr. Mora that he would like to have his mentor involved more now in his life than ever before, punctuated with a very sincere and solemn hug. Finally, as Kira and Odo share their very similar feelings of loss, they come together once again, through an unspoken understanding, and decide to go for a walk together. The end. So many feels. So many feels. I had to take a breath there for a second. because I, I, I really I know that this is probably something you can't see, obviously, when you're listening to this podcast, mm. but you may be able to hear it in my voice. This, yeah. this episode really affected me, like yeah. the way The Visitor affected me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I, I had a few of those moments, too. I'm, I'm actually glad I didn't have to write the uh, recap on this one <laughs> you know but yeah but it, it, it surprised me and and well obviously we'll we'll do our assessment of that later but uh but hey on to the fun stuff um mm-hmm. first of all i i just i will never grow tired of the star trek future where any simple ache or pain is just a hypo spray away from being fixed i it, you know it just it never ceases to amuse me you just walk in oh my back Psst. Here you go. You're fine now. Also, I love that Bashir suggests uh, Worf's morning exercise program to Odo. As far as I recall, pretty much any exercise program we've seen with Worf has involved bat lifts. (laughs) Like, here, this will stretch you out.
2: (laughs) And in this case, since Odo's not a changeling anymore at this point in the episode, he could get hurt. Yeah, he could. He could, yeah,
0: and, and I do know that we've seen Mark we've seen the sort of Tai Chi thing, but I, but more recently, we we've just basically seen him in there with uh, Dax and fighting Skeletor with Batlas. So <laughs> <laughs>
2: Skeletor. Yeah. So he's saying like Odo will pull the uh, the Batleth out of the ground and say, "I have the power of Caleb." He
0: might, he might, yeah, but yeah, Hollow uh, Hollow Sweets can do anything.
2: So when Oda walks in the infirmary, you know, suffering from aches and pains, we all have done this at one point in time or yeah. continuing to do so more and more and more in our lives <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that it's set a really nice tone for this episode about kind of the the difficulties of facing our own mortality mm-hmm. and just knowing that any ache and pain is kind of like basically six degrees of something that possibly could go even worse you know, right. in our theology, Right. Um, yeah. And, and including something that I thought may have been I don't know solved by the twenty fourth century, but you still need prune juice to kind of keep you regular. Right. Yes. That was that was yes. kind of like the uh, intimation that I got from that joke. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I or insinuation. I, I picked that up too, and I, and I thought like, oh, okay. Well, we don't know exactly what kind of humanoid Odo is. He he is humanoid. He's not necessarily human, but apparently prune juice
2: just is all you need. It works. It cures what ails you and makes you into a warrior. Exactly.
0: I also (laughs) notice how easy it is for Quark to just charge somebody a handful of strips of latinum. Like, here, let me get this reader near your thumb that you didn't even notice. I, I mean, even my my right. phone has more security than that for electronic payments. But it, it was it was played well. Where just uh, Odo was so taken by the changeling, doesn't even notice. Boom.
2: And I guess that kind of begs the question: if you really want to take it like one step further, when Odo got turned into a mortal at the end of Broken Link, that gave him fingerprints, obviously as well.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good right. uh good point. Yeah.
2: But if Odo, being chief of security as he is, don't you think he would expunge like? all traces of his security for security reasons that can't get used against him Ooh, you should have thought that ahead like losing eight slips of latinum yeah to an underhanded ferengi he'll get it who he calls friend he'll get it back you know he (laughs) will yeah there's got to be a rule of acquisition for that right when your customer is emotionally distracted exploit them yeah
0: Yeah, i'm sure
2: it's in there yeah there's got to be something like that yes
0: uh, and, and, wow, Quark had this uh, this exercise regimen already figured out to stretch out Odo's. Like, three Orion slave girls strap you to a, whoa, whoa, hey, hey, whoa. hey, whoa.
2: <laughs> He's not nearly getting enough business from his holodeck program. Clearly, yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, ComBadge, COM watch, Yes. ComBadge Watch. Yes. Looks like they got this one right this time. Although, it was a little still off target <laughs> for me. <laughs>
0: just they don't know what to do with that thing they, they they needed to have just a company-wide meeting get wardrobe get producers get continuity in there
2: just everybody needed to get in there and, and sit down and take care of this once and for all although you know avery has long arms and when he just kind of bends his arm upwards yeah that's where it would usually land so i'm wondering he's like can i put my badge over here so i'm just not it just feels comfortable when i just kind of slap across my chest oh okay maybe yeah yeah that you could know? be it a- yeah. I don't know. That's I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to make chicken out of chicken soup <laughs> whatever's that what's that that's what I'm trying to make chicken soup out of chicken lemonade's lemonade out, out of lemon <laughs> That's it chicken <laughs> chicken soup my chicken sandwich goddamn no lemonade <laughs> out of lemons yeah. now, there are
0: many great moments of René Aubersonois acting uh, with the 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 goo the, the child, you know, Odo talking to this uh, uh, baby changeling. And most of the time it's in a container. But for some reason he decided to take it to the replimat in a coffee mug. which just seems like really poor planning. Like that is the last thing you want to do if you're taking the goo to the replimat. Look, I know, I get it, that it's a setup for a joke and they just like, they were married to that joke like, oh, we have to have this be a bit where Worf walks through and asks, why are you talking to your beverage? But truly, that was just like the worst decision,
2: you know? I just kind of thought it was like a, a callback to when Odo was still changeling. And mm-hmm. he turned himself into a beverage and drank himself. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right.
1: Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah,
2: exactly. And we were, and we both kind of like, how does that work? Yeah. But technically he's not separated from himself if he's holding, it's just the illusion of yeah, that. Yeah.
0: It's still him. It's still whatever it's still makes him. a change. thing. yeah. Yeah. Waste not, want not. Right. By yeah. By the way, who told Dr. Mora to come up to the station? Who? Because... Odo didn't want him there, and Cisco said, that's your call. And the next mm-hmm. thing you know, in walks Dr.
2: Mora. I think it was a, a problem with Reporters that work for, like, say, like the Bajoran version of the National Enquirer. Okay. <laughs> Would that be like, you know, the Prophet Daily or something like yeah, that? Oh, that's good. You know, that's good. And yeah. they just broadcast it on subspace. Hey, by the way, baby changeling on Deep Space Nine, oh, page man.
0: two. Just You can't keep secrets in,
2: in the 21st or the 24th century,
1: you
0: know? By the way, they always show the baby changeling being moved out of a container. So, you know, you have these interesting, like, plexiglass shapes. that they're But they never really show how you get it back into a container. Like, I kept thinking, like, oh, wait, did we get all of it? Uh, I don't know. There's still some just, like, on the surface here. Just uh, can, can somebody bring me a squeegee,
2: please, to get the baby <laughs> back into the container? So, in our headcanon, I do believe that it's like one solid gelatinous form. Right. And it doesn't have any residual effect when you pour it in or out of a container, which kind of like, I guess, if it's not that, then it's, are, are they like losing a bit of themselves? Kind of like, are they like, you know, clipping their fingernails? Uh, the human equivalent y- of that? Yeah. Or getting a haircut or losing weight? Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder what that, that is. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. Could be. Could you imagine if it actually looked like, like the way it should have been, it would have been like, say, Andre the Giant size? Right, but now it's more like Steve Buscemi's right, right. Just at the keeps very end of all the yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Of the many things to say that we liked about this episode, I love seeing Odo happy and having a drink, and I love the surprise on Quark's face seeing mm-hmm. that moment. That, that was a, a lovely scene that just absolutely belonged in that episode.
2: It's funny too because Quark doesn't really quite get there when it comes to just dropping his walls yeah that's just the way he is i know that and i think he actually is like i don't know man i think odo's trying to play me here for something i don't know what it is but i'm just not right there trusting him yet yeah right but it does feel like that it's a nice extension to the ascent yeah when they you know drop their walls and came a little bit closer totally
0: that, that's what i was thinking of uh, uh yeah. watching that scene It was just like oh okay th- this is growth after what they've been through yeah which was mm-hmm. cool uh I, I do like uh there's the line that odo has that little ball of goo back in the lab changed everything because it, it's it, it's sort of a funny in-universe thing to hear somebody just refer to it as a ball of goo because surely that's how else do you refer to it? You know, where yeah. he sort of just drops the formality of like this baby changeling. It's like no, everybody on set pretty much referring to this as a ball of goo. So it was funny to to hear Odo in on that as well. Um, and by the way, was that because they're in the they're in Quark's bar when the computer says computer to Odo? You know, with an update on what's happening with uh, mm-hmm. the the baby changeling. Is that the first time that we've had the computer make a decision and then contact someone on its own?
2: I mean, it was set up to do that. Yeah. You know, based on based on what Dr. Bashir says, right? You know, it has a you know it, it ha- it'll like an alarm system, mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, it's it's rare if ever yeah. that the computer on its own would actually contact Odo. But the, like I said, the uh, the script was written in there saying like if anything changes, yeah. Everyone gets notified. But
0: I, I think that's the first time we've ever heard the computer initiate something and say computer to blah, blah, blah. You know, to to oh, whomever, sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Maybe. Uh-huh. Yeah. So how about uh, Miles O'Brien being the overprotective big daddy here? Because there was not enough room in that birthing chamber for both his and Shakar's oh, egos. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Play, played it was to— the, It was the gong show played out for real. Uh,
0: I know. Yeah. Play, played right? to yeah. decent comic effect. Yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. for sure,
2: and 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 Duncan Riggare. I mean, he mm-hmm. was really funny. Yeah, you know, it, not in a slapstick kind of way, but he and uh, yeah, he and Colum like they played off each other really.
0: Absolutely, well. they, but they kind of matched the intensity of each other, which was good. Yeah. yeah. How about yeah, that scene of Odo transforming into the Tarkalian hawk? I love that bit of detail of Odo's clothes in a pile on the floor when he transforms, because of course. He has been a solid for the last several weeks, and that means that he had to wear clothes up until that yeah. point. Up until he became a humanoid, up until he became a solid, the uniform are just part of him. Everything is mm-hmm. just a part of him. We always question whether or not, like, the combat badge was a part of him, too, or if he transformed, would a little com badge just drop to the floor? Very, like, his clothes, very here. much like the clothes yeah. here,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, that's actually a really good point. And I like that kind of detail. It's the kind of detail, like we mentioned before, when we were uh, when we covered, um, when Kira was on the bio table lamenting the fact that she had to go and hunt down the killer of her friends, and that tear rolls down the bio bed table. That's like one of those in-universe details that's so specific, mm-hmm. but it makes the scene. This is just like that. This makes the scene because that's what you're looking for. You're looking for... I wouldn't say like a slip up or a gaff. Yeah. But you want that detail in universe to be very specific. Right. Um, and I like the fact that they kept, or at least Odo kept referring to this Tarkalian hawk. He always wanted this baby to turn into a Tarkalian hawk. Yeah. And then he turned into a Tarkalian hawk. Was that him? Was that the baby's influence or both? That's what I love about that. It's exactly mm-hmm. that question. <laughs>
1: Has anyone ever thought about how quickly tribals have to get up to speed on this parenthood thing?
0: We'll get back to the begotten in just a moment. But first, a word from ExpressVPN. Now, you have heard us talk uh, over several weeks about how important it is to have a VPN. And let's face it, now you're working from home, you're doing your business from home, you're taking care of all your very important personal needs from home. It is even more important than ever that you choose a VPN that you trust. Now, any sponsor that we have on the show is a sponsor with a product that we actually use. And uh, it's very important that we can recommend those products to our listeners, because we believe in them. Uh, so I can say with absolute confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market, and there's a lot of reasons why. I you know, I mentioned this before, I didn't even understand that uh, services that say that they are protecting or not tracking you, a lot of times they actually are, that there, there is information that gets logged about your online activity. However, ExpressVPN doesn't do that. There are cheap, there are free VPNs out there, and they literally make their money back by selling data about your online activity. ExpressVPN expressly does not do that. They developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes it impossible for their servers to log, grab, and then therefore distribute and sell any of your information. Uh, The other important factor here is speed. So... I've tried other VPNs, I've seen them in action, and a lot of them you can just see it slow down the connection. So if you're doing something like streaming video or audio, something that's bandwidth intensive, all of a sudden everything else takes a nosedive. I've been using ExpressVPN for a year, actually, yeah, right at a year, and um, I check my internet speed probably a few times a week still stays super fast and even if you're using a server that's thousands of miles away hd video quality zero lag and i guess the other thing the the final really important part of this is ease of use and you know norman uh, you and i can both speak to this how great it is that it's a simple interface a simple app with a very clear on off switch and then just your choice of where you are using that remote connection, where that location is that you're setting, could not be easier to use. And I, I kind of take some pleasure in just checking on it every now and then, like, still connected? Yep, still connected. It's <laughs> still back there doing
2: its job. And I agree with you, John. The uh, most important thing that we can do right now is to protect our internet privacy because of all the different ways now that we're using the internet, either online or in the car, traveling mobile, what have you. So ease of use, being able to check your security, very, very, very important. So protect yourself with the VPN that we use and trust. Use our link at expressvpn.com slash mission log today and get an extra three months free on a one year package. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S r e s slash mission log. Visit expressvpn.com slash mission log to learn more. All right, Norman.
0: An episode with a lot of emotional appeals, some uh, some serious moments, some light moments, uh but uh, this was this is a really interesting step outside of the normal uh sort of DS9 dynamic. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think the the big topics here to ruminate on uh certainly the uh, the key topic is parenthood. And I'm glad that you brought up a line earlier, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child, Mm -hmm. because this episode does a really interesting job of comparing and contrasting and showing us the different experiences of or, or, or the different nuances and facets of, well, okay, here's something that's tough, but it's good for you, versus something that is just patently or uncomfortably wrong. Right. And and I'm glad that Mora actually says it right out point blank spare the rod spoil the child because typically you hear that and it, it is a it is a bad excuse for bad behavior. What we see here then is I, I think in absolutely no way whatsoever advocating for that abuse. What we are seeing though is Mora saying that if there's no adversity at all, no obstacle of any sort, then there simply won't be any growth. And he recognizes that. What I love is that we see this sort of like
2: ethical take on that. Mm-hmm. That's why Odo's transformation in this episode is so profound because Mm -hmm. at the very beginning, he's only seeing Dr. Mora's, his attitude towards the changeling as Dr. Mora from the past and not Dr. Mora from the now or the present. And everything that Dr. Mora wants to do is in the best interests of the child, but he's learned so much more because of Odo. To apply something new and maybe a little bit more humane and a little bit more uh advanced, he you know, just in terms of the way that he doesn't harm this changeling. Right. But Odo can't get past his experiences, understandably so. And that's where this whole dynamic of parenthood, as you so perfectly described, is in effect, where the child will say, you know, don't tell me how to raise my children, look how I turned out. And then the uh, <sighs> and then the parent of of that child will be like well, exactly. How did you turn out? Because, as far as I can tell, you're successful. You're healthy. You have a roof over your head. You pay your bills. You have a child of your own. Exactly. How did I fail you? Right. In this way. Right. You know. Yeah. And sure. You know, we all see things, you know, generationally, uh, from authority figures as different uh, over the course of time until you hear that familiar phrase. Just wait until you have children of your own. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, this is
0: something that I found very amusing and very honest and very relatable in this episode, is that people are very free-flowing with advice. Mm -hmm. And, And I get that, especially when it comes to parenthood, because, you know, what more important job, what bigger concern is there? Than how we nurture along children into functioning adults. I mean, look, look, I don't have kids, uh, but I do know, just to draw a parallel here, that I am annoyed every time uh, that I say I have a cold and I get dozens of pieces of unsolicited advice about what to do with my body. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, go go, take this, go do that. Go to, you know. Right. I-, I felt the same way watching the Kira scenes. Also, uh, disclaimer here, I've never been pregnant Uh, But everyone I've been around who has been pregnant is getting a constant stream of advice and commentary and attention whether they ask for it or not. Yeah, and there's nothing more welcome
2: than unsolicited advice.
0: Yeah, right, right, right. (laughs) And, And look, being a parent is a serious, deeply Personal thing that that absolutely helps define who we are. So I may not have kids, but I and, well, everyone I'm talking to now was raised by someone, and those people were raised by someone else Mm -hmm. who had a strong investment in how they turned out and probably had one or two unsolicited words of advice about how you were being raised too.
2: Oh, I watch it all the time, especially when I visit my own family. I'll watch my mom tell my sister something about how she should or should not have done a certain thing with her children. Yeah. And since I don't have children of my own, I just have to tell, you know, my mom, I have to temper my mom's expectations and say, mom, you raised her to get to this point in her life. You can't tell yeah. her how to raise her children. You can't, yeah. you know, and the funny yeah. thing is with Dr. Mora is that he kind of arrived on the scene just like a grandparent would just out of the blue. Yes. Right? It's like <laughs> yeah, it's like the grandparent signal that's got like, of it. shot out into the universe. It's like, oh I'm yes. a grandparent now. I think I better show up and tell Odo how to raise his kid.
0: Right. Right. there was something that you said a moment ago about Odo's growth and 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 I think what's interesting here is that we, we're not necessarily led to believe that Mora has changed significantly. Maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. But it's really about Odo. It's really about Odo coming into his zone. And what I thought was interesting here uh, psychologically for him is this idea of being just very careful and not confusing ignorance for malice. Mm-hmm. Mora had no playbook to go from. He he was probably getting unsolicited advice from other scientists around him. And Cardassians uh, probably, uh, yes, yes, a, even worse. You know, but he, he had nothing to go by because this was a wholly new experience, and it's not to take away from Odo's experience. Odo is entitled to his own reactions, his own emotions about what he went through there. But it's a very tricky thing to get into to then assign intent without having the full story and without applying a level of trust to that source that's really where we run into problems mm-hmm. so odo has walked around carrying this grudge for years with the implication that mora was purposely abusing him that he was purposely not acting in odo's best interest and i i love the idea here then that odo is Forced into using a new set of perspectives to see that situation.
2: Yeah, I mean yeah. we all grow with the experience of time and distance to the mm-hmm. memories that we believe were accurate to what we may consider something different later on because as with all things, you know when we're children, uh, we grow up with emotional attachments to certain things things that, you know, th- mm-hmm. they give us comfort and we can depend on It's kind of like, you know, a hero figure That doesn't turn out to be a hero figure later on in life. You know, we create these mythologies in order to give us comfort, you know, when we're, especially with children, when we need to find something to believe in or something to hold on to or or something to trust. Mm -hmm. And at that time, Dr. Moore gave Odo none of that. He didn't give him any reason to trust him or didn't give him any reason to believe that Dr. Moore wasn't doing anything other than treating him like a lab experiment. Yeah. And he never gave Dr. Moore the opportunity to explain himself. And as they're working together, like that really wonderful scene where he tells Odo, you see the smile that you have on your face right now. That's what I had when you took your first form, but you don't remember yes. that, but I do. Yes. And now you see where I was is exactly where you are now. Right. And even that Odo was like, "Let's keep going, then. Let's keep pushing." Right? He embraced yeah. Mora's philosophy. Right, you know. Right before that, he was completely against anything that Mora had to say uh, in terms of an a valuable opinion or expertise. Yeah. Until he saw it for himself, and sometimes people learn right. that way. You know, they, you got to prove it to me that whatever you did was right because I can't see it. I can't see the 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 trees from the forest.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that that's a huge part in, in Odo's development. There's another bit of growth here about Odo that I really like. Like,
0: It's very clear, it's very obvious that Odo is learning to see his own experience through another set of eyes. But what I also like is in that scene with Quark, um, he says to Quark, uh, Odo says to Quark, Do you ever think about having children? I never did. It just seemed like too much trouble, but then fate dropped one into my lap and I couldn't be happier. So, but it, it's not just Odo being a parent. It's Odo who has outlived his powers, uh, absolutely thrilled with the prospect of someone other than himself having that. Mm-hmm. He he has truly started to care for someone other than well, wanting someone because there there was this uh, obviously this thing that he had for Kira earlier on or just relating to others for what they can do for him. You know, Odo, up until this point, has been defined by his job. He has been defined by his abilities. Mm-hmm. He has been very much an outsider to everything, and it was an interesting transition to see him uh, become a solid and, and lose his changeling powers, you know, up until, obviously, the very end of this episode. But the, the now really profound inclusion of empathy on Odo is such a great addition to this character it, it, it's such a a sea change in who he is that i I absolutely appreciated that scene because I I felt like it was a moment he was able to actually articulate like oh there's something outside of me that is more important and it's more than just a transactional thing is more than just, well, if I do my job right, the bad guys go into the brig, and I get lauded for doing a good job. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: that's a cause and effect, and that's what he mm-hmm. in uh, the episode uh, when he was reliving that past indiscretion or transgression against those three bajoran innocents. You know, that's mm-hmm. that was him. He's like, I didn't care about justice; I cared about convictions. Right, It was yeah. my job to yeah. rack up the convictions uh, You know we sure. did see Odo Kind of go through the same process before When he was uh, Kind of like the parent de facto of that Hadar foundling yeah. And mm-hmm. you know it obviously he couldn't Connect with him in the same way he could connect with another Changeling but that Was for me at least that was a point Where Odo did Similarly what he did in this episode Was trying to think outside of the confines Of his own existence you know, he was responsible right, for right. this life form, and maybe even trying to transform this Jim Hadar into becoming an ally.
0: Well, I think it, it, it has a more emotional yeah, impact. emotional impact for yeah, sure. That's a good way of saying yeah. it. Yeah. So it was a more personal investment. Yes. And and that was a great way to do that. Is yes, we we had that incident with the Jim hadar youth, but there was always going to be a separation there, no matter what. Right. This made everything personal. Right.
2: Yeah. You know, and I yeah. I think I think that is because. You know, it's, it was something that he was, you know, it was something that, like Hadar Mm -hmm. isn't something that he was, but this baby was something that he was. He was one of these hundreds that were kind of like scattered and seated throughout the galaxy. And now he's seeing basically his own birth again, that he never saw Mm -hmm. himself. Uh, And he's like, okay, I'm going to do right by this. I'm not going to let you turn out the way I turned out. Um, Here's something though, that kind of struck me a little funny and it's a question mm-hmm. I don't think has been raised before, at least in the forum discussions that I've read, the experiments themselves, was there the possibility of those experiments actually causing the infant to destabilize? Hmm. You know? I mean, that's something hmm. that they don't really address in this episode, but when, when, when Dr. Bashir, when he finalized and stabilized the changeling baby, it was yeah. doing fine, Up until the point where they started using these low-voltage experiments on them. Yeah. And as much joy and exultation and um, satisfaction that it gave Odo and Dr. Mora, I didn't really feel like that they were mining the data to see what it was doing to the child in its gelatinous state. Like, what is it doing to—I mean, this child is essentially still healing from radiation poisoning. Right. Yeah, And they're pushing it really, really hard. Odo understands that. He knows how much that voltage hurts. He became Dr. Mora in that way. It's like, I know it hurts, but I need to keep pushing you to make you realize your full potential. But at what cost, though? Right, right.
0: No, that's a good point. I mean, there is... I, I guess the good thing that you can say about it is that Odo knows more than anybody in that room what it is to be a changeling child and knows what those experiences feel like i i think even if it was just a script thing you know even just including a line to acknowledge that the child is recovering from the radiation poisoning so but now it's safe to go ahead with these other experiments mm-hmm. the, then we're okay we, we we sort of let him off the hook for that, but it, it's a good point. I mean, there, there are there's still a set of unknowns here, and and even referring back to Doctor Mora, there was a huge set of unknowns when he was experimenting with Odo, but Odo was there to sort of to temper that right. quite a bit. Odo brought the emotional part of it there, and I I think certainly is looking out for the best entr- interests of the uh, the changeling baby. He wouldn't let it go too far. But it is a good self-reflective question, though, to ask, you know, did we have any hand in what actually happened?
2: Yeah, because sometimes, sometimes you have to protect the patient from themselves. Obviously, the patient can't yeah. speak up for itself the way that this baby could not. And then, right. you know, it's like, uh, say, someone is, is suffering from a, a very serious injury, of which this this Changeling baby was. And then mm-hmm. you push that person too hard, or they push themselves too hard to please you, Right. To please the parent that's like, look, I'm okay. I can take it because I'm looking right. for your adulation. I'm looking for your response. I'm looking to prove to you that I am I am this whatever level of value that you want to put on this relationship. Yeah. So they don't speak up about it. And then you end up with either broken bones or cuts or wounds or concussions when you're playing sports, things of that nature. Because you look yeah. back and you see those proud parents sitting up in the stands saying, don't worry, mom and dad, I can take it. You know, right. because this is what right. you expect of me. You expect me to be tough. You expect me to be brave, heroic, all of those things. But I'm not that yeah. person. I'm not that inside myself. So sometimes it can yeah. be damaging in the same way. Mm-hmm. And, and another thing that, that leads me to my next point, when it, when it comes to pushing this changeling baby too far, is that I understand that Dr. Mora was forced into the situation being a Bajoran doctor under the Cardassian occupation. So mm-hmm. he was pushed in ways that, say, a scientist should never be pushed to get results, Mm. to say, what is this? And once they realize what it was, how can we use this to our advantage or weaponize it or turn that into something that would benefit us globally as a government, as a people, as a culture? Isn't Cisco doing the same thing in this episode when he Mm. says, if you don't get me results, then I'm sure Starfleet will. What he delivers to them is a veiled threat. Yeah. And I found that so uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. Because what he was saying as kind of like the majority whip for Starfleet is that Mm. this baby who poses no threat to anybody, if you do not get the answers and the intelligence that we need to defeat the Dominion, then we will take this baby for ourselves and experiment on it until we can mine that intelligence and information. And Cisco was on board with that because he delivered that line. And in, in not yeah. so uncertain terms, that's why I called it a veiled threat, because yeah. he did.
0: Yeah. No, you're totally right, and and it, it paints uh, that at least that aspect of Starfleet and that aspect of Cisco's relationship to Starfleet in a pretty bad light. Part of the the mission here is to well explore strange new worlds and <laughs> new civilizations and. Boldly go. Uh, but then, yeah, there's no part of that that says we mine the intelligence that we get there uh, to the point of exhaustion so that we are self-protective. There's something, yeah, there's something insidious about that. You know, it's a small moment in the show. It's not the intent of the show to be about that. But it's there. Mm-hmm. And it if the intent is simply to have a catalyst to make Mora and Odo work together, then it's a pretty disturbing
2: way to do that. That's how I felt about it. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think it's because we saw similarly a, a, a very, a very relevant scene in Rapture, which was only a couple episodes uh, prior to this. Yeah. And it's when it's when Admiral Watley just kept pushing Benjamin to whatever happened to you or to the visions or this city that you found, which is of huge, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. importance to the Bajoran culture. Can you get him back on on our side so they can sign the Federation? Because we need them yeah. to just
0: stabilize. Just his make them sign, right? Just make them sign, no matter what. So you have this heavy
2: handedness yeah. with the Federation in that yeah. episode, and then you kind of had mm-hmm. that heavy handedness through Cisco in this episode. So it's kind of like. Where is the federation going in this series right now? Yeah. Like right. and that's what I said to you I think offline earlier where I think the federation is one thing but our mm-hmm. characters who try to uphold those ideals are another thing. Because yeah. when you really look at it that's what the federation wants to do is to continue these experiments on a child, a baby. Yeah. And know, if it was like a Bajoran baby that had special powers or a hadar baby that had special powers, even a Vulcan baby who had special powers, would they have done the same thing? Or because it was this like unidentifiable gelatinous goo that doesn't have a face, that doesn't have the ability to speak for itself, yeah. they treat it as such. They treat it as a, a, a non-corporeal being, just a substance that they can stick probes in to see if it jumps.
0: Well, I, this goes back to the measure of a man. You know, Bruce Maddox is ready to take apart data and do whatever he needed to do to treat, treat this thing as a thing, mm-hmm. not as a person who had any sort of rights to his own destiny. And he was doing that with the backing of Starfleet until, well, we had to have a trial, and Picard had to get into defensive mode. And again, the the, the crux of that was not about whether or not that being had rights it was about who are we when we decide that that thing is there for us to experiment on Mm -hmm. or to treat as anything less than ourselves exactly um so uh, that that's sort of like had the changeling lived uh that's sort of the follow-up question
2: and would it have become another version of the cold callous standoffish odo that Dr. Mora Mm -hmm. raised, if it became Starfleet Mm -hmm. property, what do you think they would have turned that baby into?
0: Yeah. Which is kind of a frightening thing. Right, right. Although I I, I have to hope that part of the way that Odo turned out had less to do with Dr. Mora than with the Cardassian influence sort of making Odo behave the way that he did. Maybe a little column A, a little column
2: B. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I have one last thing, John, and it's more of a mm-hmm. more of a piece of speculation on the episode than anything else, because I find alien like the alien superpowers to be fascinating because they don't really have to have a definition because they're alien, mm-hmm. right? So you don't have to put like a um, a logical three line through it. But this is the way I took it at the end, and because they referenced the Tarkalian hawk so many times, Odo did. I want to teach you how to fly. I want to teach you how to turn into this hawk, which I think is right tear-jerkingly amazing yeah yeah so the baby do you think it actually chose to sacrifice itself at the end so that it would not become subject to others experimenting on it do you think it was sentient enough to understand that it would eventually either become the project for starfleet or for again dr mora and odo and instead of deciding its own fate, it decided to say, you know what, I know that I don't have that much time, so I'm going to link with the only thing that I know that cares about me, that legitimately has shown me compassion to keep its essence mm-hmm. alive in Odo. Uh, to me, I mean, and it's not to be so black
0: and white about it, but for me, the last part, yes, the first part, no. I, I I think we're definitely led to feel that the changeling baby has emotionally bonded with Odo, sees Odo as the parent, and does what it can to, to link with him, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that it's dying. But, but the first part of that, did the changeling baby understand in some way that there was a, a downside to this, that if it had lived, it, it's still a part of an experiment, and the the implications of dr mora starfleet etc i don't think so mm. I, I like i think that's an interesting area to speculate but i don't think that that's what this story wanted to imply i think the story here is about odo's growth and the bond with uh another being and odo becoming a parent i i don't want to believe that even though there are some uh dark aspects of this like cisco I don't want to believe that
2: that is another dark aspect to this. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's just... um, It's hard to put a barometer on like kind of like alien intelligence and sentience, you know, because we know through the... Basically through every single franchise of Star Trek that there is the possibility of greater intelligence in a molecule than there Mm -hmm. is an entire physical 260-pound, you know, being, physical Mm -hmm. being. So... I always find these types of scenarios very, uh, very interesting, just at least speculate on, because you don't know, um, or we don't know as a viewer, exactly what that gelatinous ball of goo is capable of at this stage. Even if yeah. they call it, even though Odo classifies it as an infant, and so does Dr. Mora, it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean it doesn't possess the intelligence to understand its surroundings.
1: What has Otto learned? Can he give Worf and Sarek some parenting tips, please?
0: So it's time to measure up the measure of a... Oh, wait a minute. Wait. Different different story. <laughs> different story. <laughs> this is the begotten. This is, this is the one where we measure up the measure of goo. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it's... Look, there is a B-plot here, and we really did not focus on that at all. Uh, the the story itself really skims past uh, the B-plot with Kira. Uh, and I just want to say right off the bat that it is not to take away from that story the importance there, but clearly we, we have some time limits, some, <laughs> some time constraint, and that could be a whole other show there. Uh, but we've really focused here on the relationship of Odo to a little pile of goo. And in the end, with the begotten, uh, Norman, let us know how the episode held up for you. Does the episode hold up? And then uh, momentarily, we will talk about morals, meanings, and messages.
2: Oh, I absolutely loved this episode. And I didn't think I was going to at the very start. This is that kind of an episode where uh, it kind of subverts your expectations and it really gains a lot of momentum. Very well written. The character transformations are, are very relatable. And René Abergenois and James Sloyan were impeccable, masterful in this, mm-hmm. selling every single emotional beat of their scenes, as had mi- many others in, in the episode as well. For me, this is the transformative episode for Odo that I've been waiting for. I think, John, that you've been waiting for. Yeah. And I, I was very emotionally affected by many scenes and many lines of dialogue in this episode. It was wonderful to watch this synergy between Renee and James from kind of the child-parent tension, the student-teacher tension, and now they're kind of rivals, right, trying mm-hmm. to exact what they want for the for the best interests of this child. In many ways, I think that uh, Dr. Moore is like the grandparent, always kind of second-guessing the choices of the parent. like you almost kind of wanted to hear phrases like i raised you better than that or i did it for your own good or you don't understand until you have children of your own yeah okay. even though they didn't write those lines specifically or say those lines specifically you could feel those lines being said without saying yeah and i think that that makes the scene at the end of where i really did kind of break down and and tear a lot when when Mora says goodbye to Odo, Odo says, I want you more in my life. That's like an, extra, uh, an estranged relationship, like an estranged son or daughter saying, like, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand. I understand now because I understand what you went through. And everything that I thought has been turned on its head. Mm-hmm. And how do we move forward from here? When when Mora went to embrace Odo, mm-hmm. there's a scene where he just pauses Rene just pauses and looks bewildered. Like, I don't know what to do. And I do believe that the infant just coaches Odo a little bit here and says, hug him back. Mm. Feel this moment Mm -hmm. the way that I Mm -hmm. felt that from you. Yeah. And when you see that, you see this, this coming together, like this catharsis of the past being shed and the future being brighter for everybody yeah but you have this moment with like three generations of this story grandfather father and son all coming together at one point in time and when when renee presses his face into that hug and just accepts it yeah i was bawling (laughs) yeah Yeah. because i think that that's a real moment it was real it was so i mean not 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 to pull a scene from another episode, but yeah. it was real. Yeah. It was a real grounded emotional, very 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 powerful moment and that's why I think this episode is remarkable and I think it stands up on any level.
0: I, You're going to get no disagreement from me. I mean I, I, I'm right there on the same page with you and I, I, I don't know if it was just that I was feeling particularly emotionally vulnerable watching this late one night for the first time before we did this, but I was just completely completely drawn in and totally moved and I absolutely loved it and I'm glad that I loved it as much if not more on every subsequent rewatch the performances are stellar you you nailed that the story is revealing and I think perfectly executed the only weak spot here is the b-plot but even then they got good moments out of the b-plot it's just look. A, a B plot is going to get less attention, and that's it. it did here and it also
2: gave us some comedic beats, which I think we needed. It did a- absolutely, yeah.
0: I, I do. I, I sort of want to do something a little bit different, though, and and I want to tie this into a couple of mission log points too. And I and I apologize because I'm using mission log to comment on mission log, <laughs> but but one is that you know this story in contrast to things past the the one that we've mentioned here a couple of times, where you know Odo is experiencing his experience in, on Terek uh where he facilitated the execution of know three men who were not guilty i came away from that episode with very mixed feelings and i know that some of our listeners really thought that i hated it and and i didn't i i just questioned again you know what are we really learning here how are we growing the odo character by revealing this detail about his past now you know this episode by contrast totally different experience for me I felt like it was a true and earned kind of growth for Odo and a great reveal that tied his past to his present and profoundly changes him you know uh, because this is now a different Odo going forward I think and I love that I, I love how just everything sort of added up to this moment and with that said this episode also works very well on its own You don't necessarily have to have every detail that came before it because emotionally they sell it. And then the other thing, the the sort of like insider baseball thing here that is about Mission Log, this episode was a very good example to me of why we don't talk about DS9 overall. <laughs> why we're not sort of breaking the timeline and just jumping ahead of what is to come for Odo, what did come before for Odo. And that's why, like, I think it would be a mistake to say, well, well, what you need on the show is a DS9 fan who knows everything about DS9. That mm. would have ruined this experience for me. I love getting the reveal the evolution of Odo and Dr. Mora here. And we've only had, up until this point, Odo's experience through his own eyes. And Mora really made out to be a bad guy before, you know, or at least not a bad guy, again, not malicious, but cold and indifferent, just a man of science, just doing science, you know. Our sympathies are with Odo as he paints Mora out to be somewhat heartless, you know, someone who tortured him as a specimen. And what we have now is far more interesting, is deep complexity in their relationship with this very positive, beautiful outcome. It was this growth for, for both of them, really. So going back to mission Log, going back to how we structured this show, while I knew in broad strokes that Odo would get his power back, This is the perfect example of why I don't want to play the DS9 home game and know what's Mm -hmm. coming,
1: because I would have been
0: robbed of the emotional appeal of this story and get all these emotions out in our podcast to to, Mm -hmm. to talk about it here. So that that was it was sort of like you know if we were to do a uh, a podcast about psycho (laughs) you know it's like everybody sorry i'm not going to spoil it if there is anybody who hasn't uh, seen it but if you
2: haven't seen it i envy you because then you get to be surprised but and we get a lot of that feedback out in in social media where i think some of the listeners are like oh you're seeing this for the first time wow yeah 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 I wish I was seeing it for the first right.
0: time. Right, but and, and that's really the payoff of something that is structured like this very well. Again, it's an episode that works on its own quite well, but it is also an episode that has a lot of payoff because we've had these little detail, the, the, these little plot threads drop for us before, and we've gotten to see Odo grow. And I'm not saying that this episode would have lost the appeal somehow, but if I had gone into this episode having already seen this a few times before having already jumped to the end having already like had all that kicking around and made a decision about how I felt about Dr. Mora and already had a decision about how I felt about Oda's growth I think a lot of this would have been not not lost but it would have been tempered a little bit Mm -hmm. but instead I got to watch this and I I got to be overwhelmed with emotions on this and I, I really I cherish that I absolutely do. So, yeah, for the episode, the the moments where Odo and Mora connected, and there are many, just complete, solid gold. When Mora says that he hopes Odo hears thank you someday, or, or, by contrast, maybe the Changeling will leave him alone. Wow, I mean, just, in a few lines, so much evocative stuff going on mm-hmm. uh, and it's just, it was very genuine and it was very beautiful and um, you, you know you mentioned that hug Oh just hit me right in the feels similarly uh, to a slightly lesser degree Odo ordering champagne for them both Yeah, what a beautiful yeah. moment what a great scene mm-hmm. and then that walk off with Kira and Odo and Kira just putting her arm on his, his shoulder just beautiful and again just punched me right in the feels so wonderful wonderful episode morals meetings messages I, this I, th- there's a lot going on here i i think ultimately this is a story about its emotions um but l- let me say this you know we give a lot of credit to star trek overall For doing these big morality plays about big important issues and letting us explore the human condition through the metaphor of science fiction. And and it's big ethics, morality, philosophy, and it's all through the guise of aliens and spaceships. And this episode, I think, does the best job so far of looking at just the human condition, humanity, family, through that sci-fi metaphor. Probably, for me, the most emotional family story since Family, the third season of TNG. And I I would say that this one has an even more universal appeal because we all have complicated relationships with whomever raised us. So it's just immediately relatable. Some things can't be taught. They have to be experienced. Odo has to experience what Mora went through in order to get it, to really emotionally connect with it. He also has to experience what it's like to bring up a a child in order to grow that empathetic part of him and and that happy part of him. Yes, seeing Odo happy is profound and wonderful. But with all that said, you should try to empathize. And learn from other people's experiences, even if you haven't experienced those things directly. Appreciate your teacher. Appreciate your parents. It's a tough job. They're doing the best they can, even if you don't always understand their methods. And just thematically, there is this beautiful theme of a child returning love to a parent. There's Odo to Mora and the Changeling to Odo. Perfectly paralleled, perfectly bookmarked in this episode. So uh that's what I got out of it. Uh, anything to
2: add there, Norman? Well I think the first thing I'm gonna do when we're wrapped up with the show is put on Crosby Stills Nash's um teach children. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It's it's very it's very relatable to this, yeah. you know, teach your children well. Yeah. You know yeah. their parents hell will slowly go by. Right. So for me, uh you're right, John. The the morals, meetings and messages are fairly uncomplicated in this episode, but I think that also makes them Uh, easy to focus on and you're not trying to sift through a lot of, of what you think, what you think is being said. Mm -hmm. And you said this earlier, uh, as we started the discussion, this story, this is a story about parenthood and it doesn't necessarily mean um, human parenthood or alien parenthood. It's just parenthood, The, Mm -hmm. the understanding of how to raise children, how your children will react to that. And then their reactions to raising their own children. So it's about the joys, the sacrifices, the heartbreaks, the healing processes mm-hmm. of parenthood. It's also clear that the relationship between Odo and Dr. Mora is allegorical to how one parent will always defend their choices, how to best raise their children, because there was no road back. There was no plan, mm-hmm. especially for first-time parents. You know, uh, parents, they're like, okay, you know, like there was nobody in my life, even though that I was given birth. To You know, by somebody, there was nobody in my life that told me how to be a parent. Mm -hmm. There was no book. Mm -hmm. There was no, there's no Dr. Spock. Mm -hmm. There was no roadmap. There was no plan. So I did the best I could. And I'm sorry that if you don't think that my intentions were the best for you, but if you, if you could see it through my eyes, if you could see the way that I had to sacrifice work three jobs, uh, give up my dreams to make sure that you turned out okay. And then in turn that you would have children of your own and learn from either the mistakes of my past or the mistakes that you've made as a child to inform yourself, to be a better parent. Those are real. Those are real and very relatable experiences. The dynamic here is so powerful because where I think this really succeeds are the unspoken moments, those silent reactions that Odo and Mora have with each other, where they just look at each other and say, see... I told you so. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need to say it again because I told you so. Right. And the one thing about more that I absolutely loved is that every single dagger that Odo threw at him, he took. Yeah. And he never really fired back because yeah. he loves Odo. You know, and only a way that a parent can take that kind of abuse. Yeah. You've seen abuse of children with parents before and parents take that abuse because they say one day they'll realize that their child will understand. Right. And I, th- I think that there's also um, another dynamic here being played with, how, like, everyone can identify with Odo's overprotectiveness of the, of the infant and how he believes mm-hmm. he should be raised. But if, you, if it really weren't for Mora, would Odo even be in the position to do so? You mm-hmm. know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like a chicken and egg thing. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we can always take aim at our parents at the decisions they made after the fact. Mm-hmm. But isn't it true that it's because of them, for right or wrong, for the best intentions or whatever consequences or actions that, that happen, we are who we are because we had to learn and grow and even break either emotional or psychological chains that held us back. And in doing so, that created the person, not who they wanted to be, but who we are now. Yeah. And isn't that what we hope for when we look at ourselves? Well said. Go
0: hug your parents, everybody. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Our website and your opportunity to comment and connect with us is missionlogpodcast.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. Enjoy all the great Roddenberry podcasts at podcast.roddenberry.com where you'll find women at Warp. Priority One, The Trek Files, your daily Star Trek news, and shabam. Shabam. (laughs) And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com.
2: On the next mission log, for the uniform.
1: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Anyone want to take bets on how long Keiko and both of the O'Brien kids will be visiting Earth now? End Transmission